You're listening to the Gov Future podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we talk to Lieutenant Commander Kenneth Miltenberger, Commanding Officer, 2003 Cyber Protection Team at the U.S. Coast Guard. We talk about the unique cybersecurity threats faced by our nation's ports, emerging high-profile cyber attacks on critical infrastructure, insights for individuals and organizations to improve their cybersecurity posture, and emerging cybersecurity challenges and opportunities at the Coast Guard and the maritime industry. Stay tuned. And welcome to the Gov Future podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And Ron is uh, not joining the podcast today. He's taking a little much deserved break. So it'll just be me today. If you're listening to the Gov Future podcast for the first time, welcome. And we're so excited that you found this podcast. This podcast is the place to go to hear interviews with public sector thought leaders, insights into how governments are adapting transformative technology, and conversations on key topics. At GovFuture, if you're not familiar with the GovFuture community, we try and bring together and and hopefully are doing a great job at bringing together that entire public sector ecosystem. So we want to bring together people from all different areas of government, all different areas of that you know, public sector and innovation ecosystem, because folks have so much that they can learn from each other. And so our podcast is just one platform to help bring these folks together and for you to hear these wonderful insights. So for today's podcast, we're so excited to have with us Lieutenant Commander Kenneth Miltenberger, who is Commanding Officer, 2003 Cyber Protection Team at U.S. Coast Guard. Welcome and thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me, Kathleen. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have this discussion. And for folks that were able to check out our Silicon Valley GovFuture Forum event, we were fortunate enough to have Lieutenant Commander Milton Berger there with us. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well if you're interested in hearing um, uh, you know, that event. And also we had one of your colleagues on that panel discussion. But we'd like to start this podcast today by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and what you do now at Coast Guard. Sure. Thanks so much, Kathleen. So uh, as we said, I'm Lieutenant Commander Kenny Miltenberger. I'm a Coast Guard officer, and I was originally a Coast Guard Academy graduate. Uh, and at the time, there really wasn't uh, a destination in the workforce for cybersecurity operators uh, or anything like that. So I went down more what we would call the traditional C5I path. It's like command, control, computers, Communications and cyber, you know, is kind of that uh, horrible government acronym we like to use. But I started getting initial cyber exposure there. And then I went to a buoy tender in Hawaii doing law enforcement in the South Pacific and uh, surfing and having a lot of fun. And then came to Maryland for grad school uh, where I studied electrical engineering, got my master's degree. And so a lot of my technical backgrounds in in, uh, electrical engineering, but been able to use that in cybersecurity and then after that, I had a follow-on tour at Coast Guard headquarters, but uh, after that, maybe the most interesting is I had the opportunity to uh, found the Coast Guard's red team. So that is a group of people who do adversarial cybersecurity assessments on Coast Guard terrain or stuff, as we would call it. So uh, think our networks, our uh, off-network systems, everything that's maybe interesting that the Coast Guard owns, we get to hack. 
Uh, and so then I, I founded that. And then also at the same time was over our Coast Guard Cyber Blue team, which performs a, a non-adversarial assessment. So think about, hi, we're here to help. Uh, we're here to plug into your network and look at vulnerabilities instead of, hey, we're going to be sneaky bad guys to, to test you and, and find vulnerabilities. So uh, taking that background, I was lucky enough to get selected for my current position, which is the commanding officer of the 2003 cyber protection team. And so ha happy to talk about all the things cyber protection team uh, and how we're different as a Coast Guard. Yeah, you know, and at, at the event, you had the opportunity to share a little bit about what you do. So maybe for our folks that don't know what the 2003 Cyber Protection Team does, can you just give a quick overview? Absolutely. So uh, we are a DOD, man-trained and equipped, cyber protection team. What that means is if you go to the Navy, the Air Force, whoever, and they have a cyber protection team there, we look, we're staffed the same, we train to the same standards as them, but we just happen to be in the Department of Homeland Security under the Coast Guard. So uh, we have three main mission areas. Uh, you think of uh, cybersecurity assessments. So we're proactively looking to uh, identify vulnerabilities and recommend uh, hardening actions. We have threat hunting, which is uh, going into a partner's network and, and looking for bad guys. And then we have incident responses. Once a bad guy's already been there, coming coming in and helping advise on, uh, clean, let's say, cleanup actions or incident response type actions. So what makes uh, the Coast Guard unique here is that we operate on the commercial marine transportation system. So we're, our teams aren't really looking at government networks, we're looking at important, critical infrastructure uh, that is uh, generally commercial infrastructure, so ports and uh, waterway facilities, that kind of stuff. And so uh, we're the 2003 cyber protection team. We're one of three cyber protection teams in the Coast Guard. And uh, a lot of people sometimes wonder, why is it called 2003? Uh, my favorite nerd response is it's to celebrate the year Lord of the Rings Return of the King came out. But um, realistically, it's the year the Coast Guard became part of uh, Homeland Security. So there's a, there's a 1790 cyber protection team. That's when the Coast Guard was founded. And then the 2013 cyber protection team, that's when Coast Guard cyber was established. All right. Well, thank you for that overview. Folks don't know. And it, you know, it was interesting when we had talked last time about you know, what it is that that your team does and maybe some of the vulnerability, especially, you know, cyber vulnerability that some of our nation's ports have. So can you share what some of those unique cybersecurity threats are that face our nation's ports? And maybe to the extent that you can share, you know, some of ones, some of the ones that you can share and maybe how your team has helped. Sure, absolutely. So uh, first, uh, I would love to direct our listeners to a report that uh, Coast Guard Cyber puts out every year. It's called the C-Time Report. It's C-Time. And it's our overarching reports, uh, report on our metrics and our findings and trends across the marine transportation system in cybersecurity. So uh, it's, a, it's a really cool resource to, to look at uh, threats we're facing and common trends we're seeing. So in terms of threats to ports, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's an incredibly interesting area because it really spans the gamut. So you have big, mature, huge ports, like, um, I don't know, the ones, you know, 
the ones you know you're maybe most familiar with so you know you have la long beach and oakland and houston and new york and miami and these big 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 ports but uh in reality the marine transportation system also includes lots of small ports lots of lots of ports that maybe have one it guy uh, versus an entire enterprise. So uh, that's maybe the most interesting part is that because of the scale and, and the difference in uh, people running ports and the size of ports, you really get the whole gamut of, uh, in terms of threats where, hey, you may be threatened by ransomware or your hacktivists or kind of your, your lower level actors all the way up through nation state level actors targeting uh, operational technology, which which is the stuff that makes the port go, right? So you have your computers, your I, I, information technology that maybe helps manage the business side, but then you have your operational technology that actually moves cargo and, uh, and uh, actuates valves and that kind of stuff. So that's the operational technology side. So, you know, really all of that uh, is important to secure, and uh, that's something that we're we're looking to help with. So, yeah, in terms of vulnerabilities, gosh, you know, we we see the gamut. Yeah, I'm sure you do. And unfortunately, I think you know, cyber attacks are just becoming a lot more commonplace than they were before. Not all of them are reported on. Not all of them are maybe large enough to get media attention, but all of them can be pretty crippling, especially to who it is that it's been, you know, on the uh, wrong side of that attack. So we've seen other recent high profile cyber attacks on critical infrastructure like pipelines, for example, that, you know, really caused some crippling uh, effects. So how prepared is the Coast Guard to handle similar attacks on maritime infrastructure? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think the Coast Guard is really uniquely postured out of uh, many of the agencies in charge with the uh, with protecting segments of national critical infrastructure because of our cyber protection team. So like I said before, we have three cyber protection teams, each with three deployable mission elements. So that's a lot of deployable capability to respond to uh, a breadth of uh, national uh, national level incidents. So, you know, I would say we're more prepared than we've ever been. We're really lucky to have an incredibly talented workforce uh, to, to help uh, supply uh, help supply the cyber talent there. But, um, you know, I think we're, when you look at our mission set, we're kind of divided into maybe two pieces is, uh, we really wanna be proactive uh, and secure uh, terrain before the bad, before it gets hit by a bad guy, right? So that's, what, that's when we do our assessments. So we come in and so, you know, maybe maybe something bad hasn't happened yet, but we're securing the future there. So that's maybe that's maybe our favorite part to engage. But then there's the hey, there could be a bad guy here. Let's come help and and look for those bad guys. And then incident response is something that you don't want to have to do because it means you've already been hit. So um, I think we've been doing a really good mix of all all three of those mission sets um, to proactively secure. And so maybe the other interesting thing to bring up in terms of our preparedness is um, we only operate on cyber terrain where people have invited us in. So we can't, uh, so we rely on really close relationships with our uh, marine transportation system partners to say, hey, Coast Guard, come help us. And one, we trust you enough 
to come help us. And so we have agreements where we can't really even share uh, uh, partner names and that kind of stuff uh, just to help protect them, but also help encourage the relationship there. So um, so that, that's kind of part of the interesting dance that we do is that we need we need people to invite us in. Uh, and if they do invite us in, we can we can work with them, but we can't just pick anywhere and go there in terms of helping to secure infrastructure. Yeah, that's interesting. I you know trust is really that overarching thing that I that I heard from Absolutely. that response where you want people to trust you, and then mm-hmm. you need to trust them that they're going to give you access and that they're really going to be honest and transparent in this. Because at the end of the day, it's about helping to protect whatever it is that you're going in after. We had an interesting podcast with someone from uh, Baltimore City government because they had been breached a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other unfortunately cities and, and governments have been breached as well. And it is very crippling, especially if you don't maybe have some of those best practices in place that everyone talks about and not everybody does. And it's not important until it's important, like backing up your systems. <laughs> hey, backup is never popular until you really need it. But uh, we highly <laughs> recommend backup. Yeah. And often, right? Like not once a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so maybe, you know, generally, especially if people think, cause you know, sometimes people go, well, that won't happen to me. That's going to happen to someone else. And I was like, I'm too small. People aren't going to want to attack my bridge, attack my port, whatever. And sure. it's like, well, that's not true. So what advice would you give to individuals or organizations that are looking to improve their cybersecurity posture? I love that. So it's really do the basics right. You know, not every, what I would coin as super Gucci nation state actor with the, you know, the the hottest cyber bullets is going to come get you. But really your base level defenses can be really, really helpful. So obviously we talked about disaster recovery, having uh, disaster recovery in place and exercising a plan and knowing how that works is really important. That, that'll help protect you from ransomware. Uh, things like two-factor authentication can really, really help. So implementing that in your uh, organization and then basics like patching, consistent patching and knowing what your inventory is, super helpful. In terms of attack paths, so when my team goes and does assessments, uh, they're really more like cooperative penetration tests. And so what we like to do is we like to form an attack path for our mission partner to say, hey, you know, if we were a real bad guy, here's how it would play from initial access to data data exfiltration and maybe owning your domain, something like that. And so, you know, one of the most common things we find also as part of that is, uh, it, it's going to sound really technical, uh, uh, local link uh, name resolution, uh, LLMNR poisoning. Uh, so it's basically a uh, if you enable deprecated versions of uh, software on your network, uh, if uh, an attacker has actual access, let's say via Wi-Fi to your network, can allow them to pretty easily get credentials on your network and then pivot across your network. So um, that's that's like one very specific um, uh, path. And it's I can never say it correctly either because it's such a mouthful. Um, so I probably said it wrong. But that's, that's a really common uh, initial... Uh, a form of initial access we see. So I think those cover, you know, that's got to be probably over 80% uh, of of like core findings that we see. Um, 
yeah so i mean i think that's that probably sums it up pretty well yeah you know i i think that that's nice to hear because what you're saying is that you don't need to have these overly complicated processes and procedures it's really we always like to say think big start small and iterate often it's pretty much our motto for anything exactly. like, think big i want to be protected right yep. let's start small and just do small things because incrementally it will add up to much bigger stuff and sometimes one thing can be you know 80% of what you need and you're like really that was all i needed and i didn't need to go spend all this you know time money resources to do it and because you will on the other end you will on the other end and you're going to get in the news for reasons you don't want to <laughs> absolutely absolutely and the thing i'll say too is you know on the money side is i think a lot of our mission partners have found that uh, once they've had a Coast Guard cyber protection team mission, they can use that report to apply for federal grant money to then improve their cybersecurity posture. So if it is a funding issue, uh, if they need a new, uh, let's say, endpoint detection and response solution and they can't afford it, but maybe you know with grant money they could, uh, we're, we're a way or a path where uh, they're maybe more likely to get it. So um, if resourcing is an issue. I think that's also really great to hear, especially for our listeners who who might be interested in that, because sometimes funding really is is a roadblock. And so people are afraid to do things because they don't know, you know, they'll just think this exponential cost might be accrued when in actuality there there are ways that can help with that. So that's great to hear. So looking forward ahead as much as you can, because sometimes things change so quickly, what are some of the emerging cybersecurity challenges and opportunities? So we'll talk about both that you see for the Coast Guard and also just the maritime industry in general in the future. Sure. So I think challenge, uh, one, one uh, challenge I think is really interesting, specifically for my team in the Coast Guard, is operational technology systems. So again, like I said, Earlier in the podcast, these are information systems or uh, computing systems that actual actually touch things that move and uh, let's say in a port, move cargo, operate valves, have real kinetic physical impact. And so, uh, understanding operational technology systems is its own discipline in and of itself. It's very complicated. Uh, there are a bunch of unique protocols and. Uh, ways those uh way those systems communicate and so for us uh it's it's learning curve is coming up to speed so we're, we're already operating on that terrain but it's really just maturing and getting better uh because it's just such a vibrant wide of uh, technology you see out there but uh it's also a huge opportunity for us because we know that uh you know in a certain world that 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 those systems are high value you know that uh exploiting an operational technology system in a port could potentially have major impacts. So uh, that's something that uh, we see and, and we're training and growing to be able to address all the time. And so, you know, that's maybe also for us is our, is our opportunity is, uh, you know, being able to grow and develop that workforce. Uh, and, uh, so I, I guess I should back up here and say, you know, when you look at the composition of a cyber protection team like ours, uh, we're majority active duty people and we're majority uh, active duty enlisted folks. So um, 
we have our, you know, the officer core who we have as our mission element leads and our management and, you know, myself running the team, but our actual operators are uh, enlisted folks who uh, have a variety of backgrounds. So in many cases, we're taking someone from zero to hero through uh, an entire training pipeline to become a cyber operator with basically no background. And so, you know, that's, I think, uh, it's a challenge for us in terms of building and growing that expertise, but you know we're we're building and growing that base. So then, once you have that, you're able to use them more, recycle them, and then even if they don't stay in the Coast Guard, it's still a national benefit to the national cyber workforce, which I think is incredible. So really, you look across the entire military, and especially people who are saying, "Oh, I'm having a hard time getting my first cyber job." Well. Even if you have someone who leaves the military after five years, but as a cyber operator, they're going to come with five years of cyber experience and a ton of amazing training that will benefit uh, everyone nationally, is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's great to hear. You know, and I know that a lot of um, military in general, they have problems with retaining that talent because... Mm-hmm. People will enlist for a few years and then move on and do something else. And you had said, you know, that zero to hero where you're you're training people. So maybe what are you doing to help recruit and then retain people to try and stay in in the Coast Guard and in the cyber team in particular? Yeah. So recruiting, I think, is is uh, challenging up and down. Uh, and we're also recruiting civilians, too. So not just active duty. Each uh, each of our teams have have a couple civilian positions as well. And so I think our biggest benefit is the mission and the opportunity. So, you know, if you're in the regular cyber workforce, maybe you're just penetration testing banks and you just do banks all day or something like that. Um, And not everybody has the diversity of cyber terrain and mission and national impact that we do. So, you know, who gets to, who else gets to go travel and, uh, work on all these interesting ports and port partners and uh, maritime facilities, and you're seeing something new every day. You're working with different partners from the biggest, most mature organizations that you can probably think of to, again, mom and pop port, uh, where you coming has a completely maybe disproportionate impact to what you would expect because, hey, you know, we can we can help advise in a number of capacities there where maybe they would have never had those resources. So you really feel the impact on the day-to-day. And I think generally that's what attracts people to the Coast Guard anyway is, you know, whether you're on a small boat or in a helicopter, you get that day-to-day mission of maybe pulling someone out of the water and having that impact. And so we we get to do that in cyberspace, which is really, really cool. And so the retention side, uh, I think... We're in the best place we've ever been. And so the problem we had for a long time was people uh, coming in and then doing a cyber job, loving it, and then having nowhere to go and say, okay, go back to fix radars on a ship. And a lot of people love fixing radars on a ship and ships are awesome. But if you really want to do cybersecurity, then, and your option is get out of the Coast Guard or go fix radars on the ship, then you're going to get out of the Coast Guard and do cybersecurity. So, uh, you know, we're, we're the healthiest we've ever been. Coast Guard Cyber Command is, is the organization I'm a part of is, gosh, maybe something like six or 700 people now. We have the three cyber protection teams. We have a uh, cyber mission team. We have a, uh, 
we have red and blue teams. We have great incident response in our SOC. And so we have all these really interesting real cyber jobs that if you go in the way back machine, maybe not that way back, like 10 years ago, um, you know, we maybe just had the SOC, right? So uh, we now have the diversity of jobs and now we have a cyber rating. So enlisted people can be a cyber specialist and stay doing cyber stuff their entire career. So it, for me, that makes me super happy to be able to keep that talent and then keep that talent interested doing mission that they want to do. Yeah, that is great to hear. And I think that's important too, right? You have to change with the times if you want to stay relevant, keep that workforce that you've you know, started to train and, and work up and build that you don't want it just to leave and go somewhere else. And I think a common theme with all of our podcasts from anybody from the public sector is mission, right? Mm-hmm. So every agency has their own mission. And at the end of the day, you, you know, you all want to be driving towards that mission. And it is unique compared to private industry. Private industry, you're not focused on a mission. You're focused on, you know, bottom line most of the time. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, um, you know, branch of the military you go in or wh- wherever you work in the public sector, there is that mission. And so it is nice because there, you know, just one mission may resonate with you a little bit more. Um, and so it's nice that there is that opportunity. And we've started to see that more and more, which is which is nice as well. Mm-hmm. So we like to wrap up our podcast by asking all of our guests the same final question because you're able to bring your own unique experiences and backgrounds to help uh, with your answer. What do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government? Gosh, so I, I have so many feelings about that question. Um, so I think one thing I would like to see is either revision or tweaking to the current procurement and acquisition processes. Um, you know, even even though we have a lot of really great vehicles that help us move faster, still not quite enough, right? So uh, that's, that's me, you know, it, it's funny because I think that the technology is there, um, especially if you've been around technology for a while, you know, the technology is there, but the ability to get it, onboard it, and then sustain it is really, really hard and, and doing it in a way that is, uh, consistent and repeatable. And so, you know, things like making and, and just processes in general. So things like make FedRAMP easier. Gosh, I'm a government customer and I want a cloud SaaS solution, software as a service solution. Well, you know, most companies don't want to spend the millions of dollars it takes to FedRAMP, which is a cloud security standard to, to be able to offer their product to the government. Well, you know, that creates a lot more slowness and instead, maybe I have to manage that manage that thing myself, which costs time and people. Where you already you already private sector already have a perfectly reasonable solution that works very very well, but it's just FedRAMP's expensive. It's slow to be able to bring the thing to that standard. So I think you know, in, in terms of there's the procurement processes, and then there's the actual tweaking or molding solutions for government consumption. I would love to see that be easier and faster. Um, so then we could much more quickly use all this stuff um, and all this great stuff. So that's maybe my my response. Yeah, well, we love that. I mean, that you know, we talk about that a lot too, where there's a lot of great solutions out there, but either folks don't want to or don't know how to work with the government. So mm-hmm. 
you know, the government misses out on all this opportunity to work with small businesses that maybe they wouldn't have, or even larger businesses that just don't have a focus with the public sector. So that is our, one of our dreams as well. (laughs) So, well, this has been such a wonderful podcast. We always love any opportunity we get to talk with you. So thank you so much for being on this podcast today and getting to share your insights with our GovFuture audience. Thank you so much for having me. And audience, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us and also leave a review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Also subscribe to GovFuture Podcast if you haven't done so already, so you can get notified of all of our upcoming episodes, including some additional interviews that we have lined up. Also, if you haven't done so already, become a GovFuture member to take advantage of all that the community has to offer. To learn more and also to become a member, go to govfuture.com slash join, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Additionally, we have great resources if you're looking to get more insights and details on a wide range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well. Go to govfuture.com slash resources to check out all that content that's tailored just for you, our GovFuture listeners. To view this episode's show notes, Find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators. Go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.